I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. And I'm here with uh, my colleague and good friend, Mr. Dea Pernas. Hello. We do not have Sean Latimer today. He is uh, on the back nine right now, uh, but we will invite him back next week. Uh, we will be talking about an article today that I wrote called Cloning Your Money. Now, the the, the premise of this article is uh, I watched uh, recently an old 90s comedy called Multiplicity. Have you seen the movie? I have not. I have not seen the movie. So I want to tell you to go watch it, but I'm such a glutton for 90s comedy. I looked online and it had a 40% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So <laughs> I guess it's a horrible movie. But uh, what the movie is about, there's this uh, gentleman that's just getting overwhelmed. He has two kids. He's married. He works in construction. And uh, he just can't get all the things done in the day. He has this uh, uh, serendipitous interaction with a, a stranger uh, that he starts venting about all the stresses of life. And he asks the guy, what do you do for work? And the guy says, I create time. Uh, the guy in the movie is a scientist and he actually clones people. Yeah, not realistic, but hey, this is a comedy. So he clones uh, Michael Keaton. The The character's name is Doug. And then he goes home with two Dougs and one takes over work and one takes over helping the family. And uh it starts to work for his life, but he gets uh, a little bit crazy, and then there's a third clone, and then uh, he goes out and does his leisure while one clone helps with the family, one does work, uh, then the clones end up cloning themselves, and uh, as you can see, the problems uh, start to arise. So watching this movie with my wife with a finance eye, I was telling her that this cloning process is a lot like debt. Uh, when you when you have debt, you're actually cloning your money. Your money can be in two places at one time. Um, and if used prudently, that can be okay. But as we saw what Doug did, uh, it can also get you into a lot of problems and make for some funny comedy. Uh, so again, a, a funny analogy to make, but what I kind of want to talk to you about, uh, I grew up in, in a household that didn't use debt very wisely, and I had a really sour taste in my mouth uh, about debt. I thought maybe you could talk about, before you got into finance, what was your perception or your early interactions with debt? Well, I think that, uh, I think it's natural to have a sort of general discomfort towards debt. I think most people are probably like that who are not, uh, obviously as well versed as fi- in finances yeah, as as we are or, some, or somebody who's been in that world. Uh, because, you know, the idea of debt brings on the idea of financial ruin and potentially you have to pay you have to pay it back at some point and if you can't pay it back there's problems uh maybe you don't understand the nature of those problems but they can affect the rest of your life so uh naturally if if you i think if you don't have a good understanding of things i think that apprehension is rational and it's a good one to have that being said the more you understand that there's a difference between uh productive uses of debt and there's a difference between leverage and how how one can be used for speculation and one can be used to uh, enhance your life. And then you can kind of, uh, you're responsible enough to choose between the two and say disciplined. And I, and I think that that can overall serve as, serve as a benefit. And that's when you start to uh, understand it uh, as, as a good thing rather than, uh, rather than something that's bad. Now, I know you and I have talked about uh, some of your heritage. Uh, you have family from Morocco, right? I do, yes. And I yeah. know we've talked about sometimes you visited and how the lifestyle is different. Um, from that experience, can you speak to any cultural differences on kind of their attitude about debt different than maybe an American attitude? 
Uh, it, it's interesting because uh, it, a lot of this uh, if you, in different countries is dependent on the legal structure. And uh, in Morocco, it's it, it, I'm not sure if it's like some of the other third world countries, but they are very, very much against debt. And taking on debt has bad connotations, as I think it does in most third world countries. Uh, it, so so it is vastly different than it is here when you know where people are encouraged to, encouraged to take on debt and even in this country uh, i i don't remember maybe before the bankruptcy codes uh, in the 1800s or something like that they had you know debtors prisons and mm-hmm. uh you know if you didn't pay back your debt then your life is just over or you're you know so you're a criminal and and uh i think it's taken society many years to develop the depth of the legal system and the finance system to move, move beyond that. And, and, and it, it's, it's part of a developed economy where the, uh, the people in overall society start understanding the productive uses of debt. It's been interesting. One thing I know in client conversations that I've been trying to be intentional about, it's the words that I use. Because I know that debt just that word alone can be a little bit of a trigger word. So sometimes I'll use the word borrowing. Mm. Or sometimes I'll use, instead of talking about margin, even though that's what it could be, I might use something like collateral. And I might make a comparison to a home equity line of credit and and kind of walk somebody through that. Because some of these trigger words Interesting. can be really distracting. Yeah. And, and I, Oh, go ahead. Well, do most of your uh, the, the prospects or clients th- that you have or that you meet, do they have a natural aversion against borrowing or... You know, so I don't want to make uh, what I'm going to say right now. I'm not trying to make a stereotype, but I'm going to speak to a culture that I'm very much a part of. Right. So I'm very much part of a a Christian community. Mm. So I'm not going to speak to all Christian communities, but I know um, growing up in the church and people that I've talked to. Debt has a really negative connotation and Mm. uh, you get this exposure and this perception that if you get overwhelmed with debt, like like it's almost a sin, I guess. I don't know how to articulate it perfectly. So there is that cultural pressure to uh, get out of debt quickly. I, even some Christian financial counselors uh, talk about like, hey, the speediest way that you could pay off a mortgage. Mm. And you know what? I get scared because that's not good blanket advice. Because for some people, like you know, that's going to change their liquidity profile of their balance sheet, and it it could be detrimental. So that's why it always is an it-depends answer. But growing up in that community, and also, like I said, coming from a household where I I saw uh, family members get challenged with bankruptcy and and even leading to divorce because of financial conflict, I started to learn this idea that uh, when debt is not prudently managed, it can cause issues. What challenged me, though, is when I went to grad school, I took a corporate finance class, Mm. and we started to learn how businesses use debt and uh, how they can use it prudently. And then I had to go back and kind of challenge my initial belief system. Right, right. And as far as uh, when you say business is using it prudently, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so let's just use like a real simple blanket example. Uh, Let's say a business finds a project Mm. uh, that is similar to a project they've done before, and they have a really good measurement on what the return on investment is for that project. But maybe they don't have the liquidity or current resources to start that project today. So I guess the question is, should they not do that project today? But then there's a bank that's willing to help them finance that project today, uh, and then they can do all the calculations and math behind what is the risk 
of what could go wrong? And then what is the cost of the debt compared to the return on that project? And I think doing that diligence should change somebody's perspective um, that debt is neither good nor bad, but where it should be assessed or judged is based on its use and the suitability for the case that you have. Absolutely. I think it's perfectly said. And it's it's very rational the way you go about it. Although I do find with clients uh, and maybe of a different different perspective is that even after you take them through all that and you get them to change their mind, and let's say you you have a client come in who's part of your, uh, your Christian community, like you said, and you encourage them that... Uh, hey, maybe a little bit of borrowing in this area might be uh, might be a good re- good I, good decision for so and so reasons, and they do take on a little bit of debt. Do they ever f- get to a level where they feel comfortable with that debt, or does it keep coming up in conversations about when they're going to pay off this debt? No, that's a really good question. So I think it's almost impossible—not imp- I shouldn't say impossible—it's so difficult to change those like foundations. It's so difficult. Yeah, those it's foundational so things. You, so what I've learned is how do you, it's, a lot of it's about framing, right? So a lot of the times, hey, maybe it makes sense for your financial plan to take on some borrowing, right? Yeah. We might use that word instead of debt. Um, and then what I'm going to tell you, Dea, Mr. Client, uh, is that we're going to use the investment portfolio to pay that down. So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind for you. So everything will be happening in the background, meaning it's absolutely beneficial for your financial plan to resource this, but you don't have to write the check, send the payment in or or whatever. It's all going to be encompassed in the financial plan and the management that we're doing. And sometimes that solves for it a little bit. But, you know, Sean Latimer and I talk about this a lot. Uh, I know for my personal financial plan, it doesn't make sense to pay off my house right now, like to pay off my mortgage. The math, the financial calculator, it just doesn't make sense. But I tell him, i battle that like almost daily. Wow. Like sometimes I just want to cut a check and just pay off the mortgage because I don't know why, but I I do have these feelings like, is that a monkey on my back? Like, is that a a chip on my shoulder that I need to get rid of? The only problem is that would absolutely change the liquidity profile of my balance sheet. uh, And it would have an impact on my financial plan and an impact that I actually don't think would be positive. Yes. I don't think it would be positive. And it's, it's similar. it's it's a bit similar to somebody wanting to sell out when there's volatility. I mean, it, it's similar in the sense that you're trading short-term emotional comfort for long-term uh, financial uh, financial enhancements, fi- financial growth, or a more more fi- more more of an economic base to you in the future if you do the if you run the numbers properly, just like that corporation you were talking about. So it's uh, it's difficult because I I guess I feel that way too to to an extent. It's nice not to have any payment or you know not to owe anybody anything. You know that that whole feeling that comes with that. At the same time, there's always there's payments that are always going to need to be made, and there's uh, you know there's always stuff in your finances that are going to be managed. So as long as it's in the right context, uh, I don't think those feelings really do any sort of good to your finances in the long term. But yeah. I, but I but I have uh, a deep uh, empathy for people who feel that way. <laughs> it's that tension between qualitative and quantitative. Like sometimes I'll have to tell people, "Hey, I can," and I'll like show them the calculator. I can plug this into the financial calculator and tell you the the quote unquote right answer, the textbook answer. But ultimately, we have to recalibrate that textbook answer to your preferences. Right. Exactly. I, there's there's some balance there. Yeah. I, I think for me, I wrote this article for myself. Right. Because for me, this is reframing 
my view of debt. Like, oh, debt is just cloning money, right? And that money could be in two places at one time. So right now, my money is in the equity in my house or, uh, you know, planted in some sort of a mortgage. And also, my money is doing work for me in this investment account. So if I if I chose to basically write a check, then my money would not be in two places at once. And I understand that, uh, as funny as it is, in this comedy, uh, it was okay when there was only two Dougs. Uh, it's when you started to amplify that and say, I want my money to be in three places at once. I mm. want my money to be in four places at once. And I, I kind of even went further to say, this isn't a, a conversation only relative to individual investors. Like you and I have talked about long-term capital management. And uh, I was reading kind of, hey, I, I, I don't remember what was their leverage, right? I'm talking about my money being in two places at once. Their money was in uh, 250 places at once, right? That leverage ratio got up to 250 to one. Why did it get there? Well, the assets fell down and the liabilities were were still at, at the same pace, but uh, they sure. got in trouble and it sent a shockwave across the financial system. Sure. And I think it's also helpful to start talking about some of the bad uses of debt and uh, how, how uh, individuals or families can get themselves in trouble. And I think 2008 is a great example of that, where you saw people taking loans out against their homes or HELOCs in order to like throw a big party or something because it was everybody assumed the prices of homes would remain elevated and continue to increase and you start to something or and it's happening today in some weird places like when you see somebody take a big student loan out and go buy like a motorcycle or something i mean weird stuff like that i mean even though it's a let's say everybody's doing it part of you will be like wait a minute something's not right not exactly right about that and you should listen to your intuition there so, um, so those are ideas of very bad uses of you know the cloning of your of your money, so to speak, and uh, it's something to be mindful of. Um, you know, you have to stay disciplined and stay responsible with debt because it is something that it's just like any any just if you use too much of it, it's a it's a bad thing. Yeah, everything in moderation. Yeah, everything in moderation. Yeah, and I think the other kind of measuring stick, perhaps a client or a listener could could use is. Okay, if you get down the decision path that, hey, I'm going to finance XYZ with, with debt, with borrowing, one question to ask yourself is what, what you're financing, is it something of consumption or is it an investment? Um, and I think if it's something of consumption, right, like if you're going to throw a party with a home equity line of credit mm-hmm. or you're taking a student loan so you can have uh, buy this motorcycle, most of the time – that is probably not a wise use of debt, right? Um, that you're having a, a fleeting asset or depreciating asset that you're using to, to to resource today with pay with future money, probably not a good idea, right? When when we're talking about you or I using a mortgage, and then on the other side of our balance sheet, we have investment assets that have you know some expected return in the future, there's prudence in that. But I think the consumption piece can get you in a little trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you think about it, you're just borrowing from your future self. You're going to have to pay that debt back. And you're, the idea is that you will be in a better financial situation in the future and more able to pay that, that debt back. And how you, get, how you arrive at a better financial situation in the future is by investing in yourself, uh, investing in your portfolio, uh, investing in your business, what, whatever you need to. And by, by yourself, I mean your education and so on. So you're able to attain a higher level of earnings. Uh, buying a motorcycle with debt 
doesn't do those things. So you're essentially your future self is going to uh, is going to not like you so much when they're having to pay that debt back with their with you know with uh, with the, kind of the same level of economic resources in in present time. So I uh, I mean it, it it all comes down to responsibility and understanding uh, understanding how these things can help you or hurt you. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to look at it that way too because there is like a, a diminishing utility or joy you get from a toy, right? Maybe call right. a motorcycle a toy. Maybe it's not the right way to say it. But, I, you know, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and you want to know what his favorite toy is? His newest toy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, I, I like how you frame that with current self and future self because what ends up happening is current self is excited to uh, acquire this toy, and they get a ton of joy and uh, utility and all that on day one. Week week two is a little bit less. Uh, next year is a little bit less. And then it ends up sitting in the garage, but yet f- future self is still working his caboose off to pay right. for that uh, no longer interested toy. Right, exactly, exactly. So uh, so that that tension between consumption and investment is all is extraordinarily important to one's financial well-being. And I think one thing people have to draw from this too is that making a decision of borrowing, it should not be a quick uh, off-the-cuff decision. You should ask yourself a lot of questions because the other thing that concerns me is that if somebody has always had a sour, there are people that this, they can have this experience. They have a sour taste of debt and then you kind of take them through this uh, educational framework of how they could use it for their portfolio. Uh, and some people, it's like a light switch, like, yeah, let's do that times 10. And I'm like, whoa, 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 mm. slow down, cowboy. <laughs> like it's it makes sense for this use case. It doesn't make sense for this use case. So that's why at the end of the article, I talked about this idea that, hey, if if for every financial decision, you're like, hey, let's use leverage. It's probably not a good idea. For uh, every financial decision where you could use financing or borrowing that you just say, no way, no how, uh, you just against it, that's probably not good. There's a balance there um, in figuring out where the use case is appropriate. Absolutely. And I think uh, to have the right kind of advisor to uh, walk you through or your financial plan in general and assess where this might make sense. And so much of it is contextual. Based on the level of leverage a client already has, or maybe you could speak to that. What are the what are the different factors in maybe a, uh, a situation for a client that may get you to say, "Look, you need to take more leverage instead of less leverage," or whatever the deal may be. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think you kind of hit on it earlier. One thing that you have to measure is when you're going to finance something. What is the cost of that? And then you have to measure that cost against cash flows. And is it sustainable to pay those uh, interest expense from that cash flow? And then I'm not trying to make this too complex on a podcast, but then what is the benefit that you're gaining? Mm -hmm. Right? Because like, usually there's a fork in the road when you're going to say finance or not finance. And with that fork in the road, there's an opportunity cost. And there's an interest expense. And you're kind of measuring those two against one another. And I think you guys do similar uh, things on the investment committee, right? When you're assessing a company, and you can correct me, right? Because mm. this is your expertise. Mm. Um, you're looking when that company creates cash flow, right? Above and beyond their expenses, how much wiggle room do they have to cover the current dividend that they're paying? My guess is if if they're paying 100% of free cash flow to a dividend, you as an analyst are like, ah, I don't know if that's sustainable because what happens if things don't go exactly according to plan? 
Right, exactly. And with especially with the, the type of investing we do where we focus on dividends, we want to make sure that, that company is paying those dividends from earnings and they're not having to stretch to do so. Uh, we look at things like the dividend payout ratio, which is the amount of dividends a company pays relative to the amount of money they make. And you want to make sure that that's manageable. And sometimes it's it's not. Sometimes you look at a company and they're paying a high dividend, but maybe they're uh, they're financing it with debt, or maybe they're selling off assets to do it, and it doesn't seem like something sustainable. So it's uh, it's definitely something that we uh, pay very close attention to in the analysis of companies, and we like our, our preference is always to uh, a lower dividend pay, uh, payout ratio rather than ones a lot higher, uh, especially if you think that they have room to increase that ratio a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of how I look at it for clients a lot of the time. So when I'm looking at the interest expense, uh, sometimes with the types of lines of credit or things that we can resource, it might be linked to the federal funds rate. So when you have Jerome Powell come out and say, hey, we're going to leave the federal funds rate here till 2023, it gives you some level, not perfect, but some level of predictability on what the expense is. Then on the other end, if it's allowing a client to stay invested and you know that there's sustainable income created like a Mm. dividend, you can kind of look... Uh, you can call it whatever you want, but some sort of coverage ratio that like, hey, maybe the dividend itself has three to one coverage on the interest expense. And that doesn't even account for the potential appreciation on the investment. So I think there's uh, a little bit of uh, mathematics that you can do there and kind of share with the client. And all of it is about building safety nets, right? Mm -hmm. I think what we learned from long-term capital management, uh, whether they were mathematicians or rocket scientists, they did a really good job at figuring out all risks, right? And hedging against those risks. But guess what? A curveball was thrown that they didn't account for, and that's a reality. And I always tell people that whatever the worst case scenario we've ever experienced, there could be a worser case scenario that comes out in the future. So it's not just preparing for what happened in the past. You you have to act add a little bit more of uh, a slush fund or whatever in there to account for something that could be even worse. Mm. So what about, what if you tell them all that and they see the differential between the amount of interest or dividends and the relative to the cost of borrowing. And they still, that discomfort is still there as far as the, uh, you know, the extension of credit goes. Do you, do you just say, okay, because, because your peace of mind will be disrupted by this. Let's just forget about the whole borrowing thing. Yeah, I do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The reason I do that is because a lot of the time, and this is the interesting thing when you have people that have spent a lifetime saving their, their building a nest egg and being prudent with their money. I'm going to tell you something. A lot of these decisions don't make or break a financial plan. Hmm. So what we're talking about is that, Hey, this path could create more future terminal wealth. Right. But that's not the only objective. Um, so I I do usually heed to their preferences Hmm. because I I think you would attest to this too, is that if you came up with the, I'm just making this up, the optimal or perfect portfolio, but it's not something that somebody could stomach or right. own, then it, it's kind of a, a, a moot point. So I, I think there is a balancing act. And I'll tell clients a lot of the time, like, hey, I, I don't want to like convince you of this or sell you on this. I don't want to lead the witness. I, I'm telling you if I were in your shoes, knowing what I know, this are these are the two options that I would look at. And both options have pros and cons. I, I think that's important to say um, that just because it could be wise or prudent to finance something – it doesn't mean that there's no downside. You should express the downside that's there. And then I think when you have all the facts on the table and you do your best to, 
to cleanse yourself from maybe those preconceived notations, then uh, 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 you can make a good decision. For sure, for sure. And uh, I think, just like you said, the, these things don't make or break a financial plan. And I feel like that's a challenge that a lot of advisors face where they, they have, you know, especially in you know the fiduciary world where they have to give their clients uh, what they believe is the right advice. And a lot of times, it isn't, they're not talking about something that makes or breaks a financial plan, but it's something the client definitely should do. But then maybe they're kind of emotionally against it for whatever reasons, and you kind of, you, you push it aside. And maybe it's like that with investing in different assets or the level of volatility. Uh, th- sometimes there's a, uh, a large difference between a client's ability to take risk and their willingness to take risk, which are two, di- two different things. And you know, maybe like Trevor said, you, you have a, a path for them to get to a much higher terminal uh, terminal wealth by just increasing their willingness to take risk a little bit in certain areas. Uh, but maybe it's not worth it given their emotional disposition, and that, that's I think that's uh, that's part of the challenge for an advisor having to figure out exactly where to maybe coach or or push in certain areas, and where where maybe to it's it it won't make or break the a financial plan, and and to just discard the advice because of because of the makeup of the client you know it's an interesting pivot so much of this depends on trust because mm. a lot of the time a client i don't want to say interesting this, yeah. i don't want to say it this way but they are almost willing to get out of their comfort zone interesting, if yeah. they have a lot of trust that makes a lot of sense because what ends up happening sometimes if uh if they're questioning their advisor's competency or um motivations for recommending something they might go with it, but then when things go awry, they're like, ah, I knew I shouldn't have done that. And then mm. they will pivot. But if you have a strong relationship and there's a deep embedded amount of trust and they believe that you're uh, caring for them in a fashion that you would care for your own money, mm. sometimes they will break out of their comfort zone. But, uh, you know, trust isn't built overnight. So uh, that's why financial plans are a living document and you are recalibrating them as you go as the environment changes and as your comfortability changes as well that's a that's a phenomenal point i I totally agree and it's something i've noticed as well so maybe in the beginning you might you might present these things and you might get a little pushback and you say okay maybe you won't scrap it forever but you'll shelve it for now and then maybe it's like okay maybe they have to trust me a little bit maybe we'll uh maybe we'll just let this relationship evolve and then you know down the road maybe we can bring this up again a hundred percent. And I think one thing I want to touch on too, before we uh, end our conversation is um, most things, like you said, if people are financially prepared, won't make or break a financial plan, but some decisions, they do have impact on the plan, right? So, you know, there might be, you know, a financial advisor out there that says, Hey, no matter who you are, what's your situation, always claim social security at 70 years old, bad advice. It it depends Mm -hmm. on the person, right? So if somebody is going to retire at 64 years old, and they're going to start withdrawing from their portfolio, there's more pressure on their portfolio if they're not receiving that Social Security income. So that pressure point can have an impact, especially if you start out with tough markets. So that's why it has to be situational. You can't just say, hey, pay off debt as fast as you can. Always claim Social Security at 70. It has to relate to that person. And that's what frustrates me about the finance industry is it has a tendency to want to kind of package everything up, deliver it to your door and say, this works for everybody. And I want to say, no, it should be tailor-made, right? You have to look at your situation and the uniqueness about what's going on on your balance sheet with your finances and your preferences. And you have to, in a collaborative fashion, design something that fits for you. 
Totally. Any anytime I see any sort of marketing or any anything out there where somebody's trying to oversimplify some financial advice, I just assume they're selling something. I mean, because at the end of the day, these uh, these are these decisions involve multiple factors and are more complex than uh, just uh, just a one piece uh, you know line of advice. Sometimes a heuristic like that it's rare, but sometimes it can make sense. Maybe something like oh, uh, maybe something like don't ever sell out. If uh, during a market crisis or some, something like that, I, I, but there, there's few of them where I would totally get on board and say that that this is uh, this is gospel and you should always do this. Uh, so I I think that people crave uncertainty and they want to they want answers and the more simple the answer, the more alluring it is. Uh, but it's something that you have that you know resist your your urges in that sense and and try to really think of all the different uh, nuances to the situation, try to come up with a, with a decision that makes sense. So I, I, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, that's part of why we exist in this, in this industry to, to do just that. So um, I, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Towards the end of the article, I included a clip from the big short. What was your opinion? You like that movie? Uh, I like that movie. Yeah. I thought it was a good movie. Uh, so, I, it's not my favorite, favorite uh, finance film, but, but it, you know, it was good. Yeah, interesting thing about that movie. I, you know, some of the the things that happen in the movie are uh, not totally uh, of my taste. Uh, some of the things can be a little bit crude, but one thing that I think is unique about that movie is that they took um, Michael. Help me out. Uh, last name uh, um, Lewis. Michael Lewis, right? Michael Lewis. Oh, oh right, right. Yeah, they yeah, took his book, writer, yeah. which is finance heavy. And they have to figure out how are we going to make a Hollywood film out of this. Mm. Uh, and then the little clip I included, it's like they have to do kind of these the comedic uh, like offset uh, descriptions to kind of define these financial terms because right. yes. it's so it difficult. Was litter- it was littered with that. I remember. <laughs> yeah. So they have to take like uh, I think it was uh, CDOs. Yeah. Uh, was it uh, Selena Gomez? Yeah, I, I don't know. And the Richard actress. Thaler, yeah. whatever they're yeah. uh, um, at, at a poker table, and they have to kind of put pause on the movie and do this description. And it just reminded me <laughs> of like what I aspire to do in Thoughts on Money is that to take things that are complex and difficult and make them palatable for people. Because what I would love for someone to gather from this article is not just an uh, opinion on, on debt, but more of like, hey, how do I make financial decisions? Because the reality is when you create a financial plan, there's a ton of financial decisions that are going to be thrown at you, and there's a, a structure of uh, how you can go through that decision-making process. And I think the decision-making process is probably one of the most important attributes of uh, being financially wise. Yes, uh, that that decision-making process, that framework to make decisions, understanding the, di- the different parts, uh, just the different factors that go into that, understanding your own emotional makeup. Uh, and realizing that a lot, it's okay not to know these things. It, you don't, you're not stupid, and you're not ignorant. These things just generally aren't part of the curriculum in most schools, uh, from what I've noticed. Uh, most of what I, you know, there's a lot I learned about uh, economics in school. I majored in economics. That being said, none of that was would have prepared me for what I do today. I mean, 95 percent of what I know and use is I've learned on the job or through my own research or through own observations and experiences. And you, uh, and you formulate this kind of, this kind of worldview that helps you make decisions. And, and that's, I don't believe that stuff comes easy and I don't, I don't think people should expect it to come easy. So, uh, so yeah, don't, don't, don't automatically assume that you should know this or, or feel less than because you don't. And I'm sure one thing that you've experienced is, 
uh, you, you went to Berkeley, right? So the learning process is so difficult. But what's even more difficult is the unlearning process. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a great point. I, I saw this quote the other day where wisdom isn't what you learn, but from what you unlearn. And I think that's true in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to to wrap us up. We'll ask the listeners uh, to leave comments on the podcast. We would love a five-star review. And uh, of course, uh, if you have any questions, you can email tom at thebonsagroup.com. You can address that question to Trevor or Dea. We'd be happy to engage with you and get back to you and um, provide any clarity that we did not provide in this podcast. Um, And of course, we will be back next week with more of our thoughts on money. That's, oh, that's not money. That's not money. That's not money. <laughs> Missed it. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.